0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. It's Friday and so much has happened in the news this week. But don't worry we've got you covered we'll bring you up to speed on the top local stories that you should know but might have missed
1: the latest saga for alderman jim gardner his superintendent is now charged with trying to sell an illegal machine gun While on the clock.
2: Congressman Mike Quigley says he will not run
0: for mayor of Chicago in 2023.
1: Governor J.B. Pritzker has signed three new laws to address a statewide teacher shortage. The Chicago Teachers Union and advocacy groups are criticizing budget cuts at district schools. With
0: just three votes, the city council narrowly approved Mayor Lori Lightfoot's plan to hand out prepaid gas and transit cards to Chicago residents. Here to take us behind the week's headlines is WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Hey Patrick. Hey, Sasha. Good to see you. Alex Nitkins here, editor and City Hall reporter for The Daily Line. Great to meet you, Alex.
2: Yeah, I'm here in person finally. How are finally,
0: <laughs> Welcome back. Thank so you. I'm going to start with you, actually. Uh, Chicagoans, they can start applying for free gas and Ventra cards now that the city council has passed the mayor's $12.5 million plan. How did that vote go?
2: It was extremely close. It was actually remarkably close, more than we've seen pretty much almost, uh, in my memory, it was a 26 to 23 vote. It went on sort of a long and, and winding path, this measure. Originally, it was going to be maybe a sort of three cent per gallon gas tax holiday until the end of the year for the whole city. It eventually became this sort of card giveaway program. Where it ended up is that there are going to be 100,000 preloaded venture cards given out with $50 in transit fare each. And a hundred, sorry, 50,000 prepaid gas cards with $150 each loaded onto them. It's a $12.5 million the city is going to spend for this. Um, The cards are going to be given out in a number of ways through all the manic offices. You can apply, basically search Chicago Moves on Google. That's the name of the program. You should be able to go to the portal. Eligibility is anyone who lives in the city of Chicago is 18 or older, and you have to be... less than 100% of area median income, which is about $65,000 for an individual salary or $93,000 for a family of four. Okay, And essentially, this was pretty controversial. It was a tough proposition within the city council from a lot of aldermen who basically said, is this really a good idea to be taking taxpayer money and literally burning it into the atmosphere? It's not going to be very sustainable. It's sort of a one-time trick. Of course, a lot of people thought that it was politically motivated. People had a problem with the fact that Mayor Leifert's name is going to be on the gas cards. And some just said it's plain bad city policy to be using taxpayer money for private uh, cars, um, for private car use. And so basically what ended up happening is that the 75 percent or a little more than 75 percent of the cards are going to be concentrated in what's called um, high-mobility hardship areas, which originally were just sort of strictly areas on the south and west side, but that was expanded a little bit conveniently into some of the aldermen who were not on board with the proposal, and then um, they ended up voting for it uh, as soon as their wards were included in that, mm-hmm. uh, quote, high-mobility hardship area.
0: Well, you know, Patrick, Alex brings up a very interesting point. How much do these gas cards have to do with the mayor's potential reelection campaign?
1: Well, I mean, personally, I think a lot. She says that it has nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with her uh, upcoming campaign. A lot of aldermen uh, critical of the mayor pointed out that this idea of giving out gas cards, giving out the venture cards came after Willie Wilson did his own gas giveaway. Willie Wilson, as we all know, is going to be one of Mayor Lightfoot's opponents in the upcoming election. Mm -hmm. I should say it's a really bad look for the mayor to insist this is not political. This is not about the campaign. And then the day after this vote, I believe she sent out her political team, sent out an email fundraising based on this exact thing. I do want to say, though, it's bad for politicians to buy votes, especially with taxpayer money. But the idea of politicians doing things that people like so that they will vote for them is kind of the whole basis of our democracy. So I don't know that there's a huge, huge scandal there.
0: Alex, other proposals did not have as much success this week. Let's go through a couple of the higher profile ones, starting with ethics reform. Tell us about Alderwoman Michelle Smith's proposal and why that stalled.
2: Well, Alderwoman Michelle Smith, first of all, it seems like it stalled just sort of out of a misunderstanding. Alderman Roderick Sawyer sent it to the Rules Committee, which is sort of a delay tactic. Um, but now he says that he's, you know, working on getting it out. So it seems like it's going to be on track. Basically, this ethics reform would do a couple of different things. It would be the first major, you know, change to the City Council ethics ordinance since 2019, when the Mayor Lightfoot came in and tried to make this flurry of changes. It would basically expand conflict of interest restrictions so mm-hmm. that they apply to. Spouses, family members, basically the way that Alderman Smith, who chairs the city council ethics committee, put it is that it's time to it's time to end the notion of I got a guy in city hall who's going to figure this out for me, trying to eliminate any kind of illusion of you're going to help someone who's a close associate of yours through your power, you know, of of position of power in city council government. It will also has a provision to prevent former aldermen who now work as as lobbyists from sort of walking the floor Mm -hmm. to get their own initiatives across. Literally just this week, we saw um, former Alderman Joe Moore uh, kind of milling around, hanging out, talking to Alderman and um, actually lobbying on behalf of another proposal that got sent to the Rules Committee um, that I can talk about in a second. But basically trying to clamp down on that kind of influence, that proposal that he tried to get through was a proposal to expand car booting, this dreaded practice of getting a boot right. attached to your car. Right now, it's legal ward by ward. It's legal in 34 of the city's 50 wards. Um, Alderman Ariel Raboiris introduced an ordinance to expand it across the whole city, make it legal everywhere. That was sent to the Rules Committee by Alderman Daniel Lespada, who is an opponent of booting, thinks mm-hmm. that it should not be legal. And then Block Club uh, talked to Ariel Raboiris, who introduced that ordinance yesterday. And Roborius, kind of to our surprise, basically said, yeah, I introduced that because um, the former Alderman Moore asked me to on behalf of the booting industry. Oh so we're, <laughs> okay. we're gonna be watching okay. what happened. What <laughs> happens with, with boots yeah. uh,
0: next. A lot of stuff going on. Alder, uh, alderman uh, Nicholas Sposato of the 38th Ward introduced an ordinance that would allow aldermen to accept donations for charitable organizations in their offices, and also Blocked was something that the mayor was calling Water for All. Explain what that is.
2: Oh, so this was her, this was the mayor's kind of counter proposal to Water for All. Um, basically, the city has this program called Utility Billing Relief in order to, the, the based on the precept that no one should, you know, go without water if they can't afford to pay their water bills. It sort of subsidizes water uh, usage and Lesbada, that same alderman, uh, you know, in collaboration with some organizing groups, this group called Seoul, Southside Organizing for Unity and Liberation has been really involved saying, we want to introduce this ordinance called Water for All that would do a couple of things. It would, number one, ban shutoffs. It would ban people's water from getting shut off. It would prohibit any future privatization of the city's water industry, and it would expand those subsidies and put it on a sort of progressive scale. Mm -hmm. That Ordinance, Water for All, has basically been stuffed in a drawer for a year and a half because the administration doesn't support it, the chair of the environmental committee or George Cardenas doesn't support it. And so Alderman LaSpada has been trying to force it out into the into daylight and is trying to force a meeting. Meanwhile, Lori Lightfoot came out with her own sort of softer version of that that would include the ban on water shops, it would include the ban on priv- uh, uh, privatization, but it would not expand the subsidies. And so um, Alderwoman uh, Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez, who's a supporter of Water for All, sent it to the rules committee, the mayor's oh, proposal blank. that is. <laughs> what her, what she told me uh, on Wednesday was, no, you're not just going to ignore this other proposal that's out there and not talk to us about it at all and then try to slide in here with your own version of it. She said it's disrespectful was her word. And so that's going to rules. That's how it works.
1: I think it's worth pointing out here, you know, and I don't know the exact timeline of this, but a lot of this movement, especially the Spada's movement, was spurred in part by WBEZ reporting Maria Enes Zamudio, who, who reported on a number of things, the rising cost of water, the fact that it's it's put more than two hundred thousand people have delinquent water accounts and mm-hmm. and more than four hundred twenty million dollars of, of water debt. So I think the background there is important. Too.
0: Absolutely, Patrick. Uh, sticking with you, Northwest Side Alderman Jim Gardner is coming under scrutiny again. His ward superintendent was arrested for trying to sell an illegal machine gun. Mm. What?
1: Yeah, uh, and it's actually even uh, even a little bit crazier than that. Uh, yeah, Charles Sakanich, his uh, his ward superintendent. Allegedly tried to sell an illegal machine gun to an undercover ATF agent while the ward superintendent was on the clock for his government job. Uh, so yeah, it's uh it, it, those charges came down this week, and uh, yeah, it's it's something.
0: Tell us exactly who Charles Sikanich is and and sort of what the the job of a ward superintendent entails. Yeah,
1: so he's a, a top 45th ward official. A Ward superintendent is is a technically an employee not just technically they are an employee of the streets and sanitation department they're chosen by the alderman they're in charge of things like trash pickup you know street cleaning that sort of thing they're also kind of the eyes and ears for the 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 alderman in their ward uh and and Sakanich has been uh this is kind of Sakanich and Gardner have been in in uh different levels of controversy over the last year plus
0: so is Sakanich facing jail time Uh,
1: Possibly, yes. You know, this this case has a long way to go, but I mean, machine guns are illegal in Illinois. Just possessing an illegal machine gun, let alone trying to sell it to, allegedly trying to sell it to an undercover agent, just possessing an illegal machine gun. Sounds like a no-no. Yeah, it carries potential prison prison time.
0: Going to shift over to the ward remapping process, Alex. (laughs) Are we any closer to a deal on that? Not really is basically the shortage. Moving on. No kidding. (laughs) Um.
2: So, look, we have uh, until May 19th is the absolute drop dead deadline for 41 aldermen to get together and say, here is a map that we can agree on. Otherwise, we are absolutely 100%. Going to a referendum on June 28th, that is, of course, barring some kind of legal curveball or someone suing and getting a judge to say otherwise. The two sides appear to be as far apart as ever. We hear some little rumblings here and there of, oh, they might be trying to negotiate again. But really, they have been, I mean, at each other's throats at this point. These two groups, it's gotten really personal. It's gotten really nasty. Um, and so there, we saw over the the course of the past week, basically, the two groups trying to make their own political, you know, pitches for why theirs is preferable. We saw Alderwoman Nicole Lee, who is the newest alderman who just was appointed last month, coming out in support of the sort of majority, what they're calling the Chicago United map, the map supported by the Black Caucus and most most white aldermen, that was drafted under the Rules Committee process. And she sort of said, Well, I believe this is stronger for Asian American representation. And I tried to sort of push her on that because both maps, one thing that they both have in common, they both have a bare majority Asian American constituency. That was on purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that what she wasn't going to say, but what she, I can imagine she might have been thinking was, I would just rather, you know, anger 15 of my colleagues than 33 of my colleagues. Yeah, because yeah. that's what it seems like it, it might have been coming down to.
0: Let's switch gears. Patrick, hundreds of parents came to the Chicago Board of Education meeting yesterday and they were opposing CPS budget cuts. These budget cuts are burning out our hardworking teachers and making our children lose interest in school. We will lose dedicated teachers and students. In 2013, we lost 50 schools. In 2018, CPS CPS voted to close four high schools in Englewood. How many more will we lose in 2022? Mr. Pedro Martinez, I ask you, how many schools will be shut down? Why is the federal money not being used? When is it going to be used? Thank you. Lots of questions being asked there. The teachers union has also criticized those cuts. Patrick, give us the details.
1: Yes. So when CPS uh, unveiled its school specific budgets last month, about 40% of schools had budget cuts, some of them pretty hefty. The average budget cut was more than $200,000. There were almost 200 schools that had lost at least $100,000. Now, what CPS also said was that they had 60% of schools that were getting budget increases uh, based on just like students moving around and that sort of thing. But but yeah, 40% of its schools seeing sizable budget cuts, as you might imagine, prompted response, as we just heard from, oh, yeah. from parents, from students, from the from CTU. The CPS CEO, Pedro Martinez, has responded to these complaints saying, um, that that the complaints are based on sort of wrong or incomplete info. And what he says is a lot of these budget cuts are because they're putting a lot more at the central CPS office and that they're going to cover more costs for schools, that some of it's about students moving from one school to another. Mm-hmm. And so what he's saying is we're not cutting teachers. We're hiring more teachers, actually. It's just this sort of momentary thing where it looks like we've got budget cuts at these schools. And maybe some of them have small budget cuts, but he says they make sense because of the way that, that – uh, that students have moved around what about the ctu the ctu's response is a couple things one they say yeah part of that makes sense if students move the dollars follow them we get it but the way cps has done this is gonna is leading them to lay off teachers and then have to rehire teachers later and they also say that because of covid stimulus dollars that cps has a bunch of money in the bank that it could be using to kind of avoid these these drastic cuts that we're seeing at certain schools Talk to me about Governor
0: Pritzker. He signed uh, legislation this week to deal with the shortage of substitute teachers.
1: Yeah, yeah, Pritzker has been trying and the, the Pritzker administration has been trying to deal with this shortage of shortage of teachers for a while. He says that we're on the right track, we're on the trajectory to overcome a shortage of qualified teachers and and he signed in a law a bill that does a couple things. I'm reading from my notes here, uh, just because there's a lot that it does. It lowers the minimum age for someone to become a paraprofessional in, in classrooms. It reduces the reinstatement fee for lapsed teaching licenses from $500 to $50. It allows college students to apply for substitute teaching license if, licenses if they have at least 90 credit hours. Oh. There's even more. Lots of things that, that I, Governor Pritzker's administration says, you add it all up and it's going to allow us to get more qualified teachers into schools where they're needed. We need more substitute
0: teachers. Yes. That's a, a huge, huge hole that needs to be filled. Alex, back to uh, elections. Congressman Mike Quigley announced he's not going to run for mayor. Surprised?
2: A little bit. I think that it was a little bit uh, on a a knife's edge whether he was actually going to jump in. He was clearly curious. He was interested. He was polling. Why did he say he wasn't going to do it? Well, he gave two reasons. Number one is that he is just so committed to the people of Ukraine and defending their freedom that uh, he would be better to do that in Congress than from the city of Chicago, and basically that he's too invested in that issue and doesn't want to step back from it. The other thing that he said is, if I'm being completely honest, you know, at age 53, maybe I would have been able to do this. At age 63, I don't think my family and I can take this kind of commitment. Interestingly, he did put in, a, he said, I would have relished the opportunity to get Chicago back on track. So he snuck in a little like, hey, you know, I think that someone needs to challenge this mayor sort of tacitly. He bowed out. So honestly, people ask me about the mayor's race and, and what I usually tell them is it's not really worth paying super close attention until eh, Labor Day, give or take, which is pretty much around the time. You remember four years ago when um, Mayor Emanuel said he was not going to run for re-election, and that's really when I think of that campaign as having started in earnest. Um, So there are other primary races to, to keep track of before that, I
0: think. Well, I do have one more question for you about that mayoral election. It's less than a year away, but Lightfoot still hasn't officially- announce whether she's going to run again.
2: I think a lot of that, uh, the word officially is doing a lot of work there. Yeah, Officially. I think. <laughs> Did you hear my annunciation? Officially. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think that she has been, you might say, even skillfully drawing this out over a long period of time. And she's been making it more or less clear for a good while, yes, that she's going to run for reelection. She said, you know, she had this city club speech a week and a half ago saying, I'm going to make a big announcement. And then like, at the very end of the speech, saying something else like, "Oh, there will be another announcement coming later." Right. Wink, wink. It's it's very clear. And now I think she she just told this on times, um, told Wend- Lynn Sweet while she's in D.C. Like, yes, basically, I'm going to run. There's going to be an announcement. So sort of like, the least surprising bit of news that we've had this week. It's almost yes, fun she's and games on from her at for this point. <laughs> um, so yeah.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you're listening to our weekly news recap, where we take you beyond the headlines of the week's top local stories. Now, before the break, we talked about the mayor's race, protests over CPS budget cuts, and stalled ethics reforms in city council. But wait, there's more. Mayor Lloyd Lightfoot considering a list and selecting seven of those individuals who will make up the first Interim Community Commission for Public Safety and Police Accountability. New research is raising questions about what exactly has driven a recent increase in carjackings in Chicago.
2: Big changes at the Chicago Reader tonight amid protests over a transition to nonprofit status. The co-owner of the Reader and three board members are stepping down.
0: Our panel today includes WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith and Alex Nitkin, editor and City Hall reporter for The Daily Line. Alex, local workers had some major victories this week. Let's start with the graduate student employees at UIC, because they ended a six-day strike on Tuesday.
2: So what did they get from the university in the end? They got more money at the end of the day, and this is something that, just to sort of put it in context, we're talking about grad students. Uh, These are adults. They have their own families, and, you know, my Fiance is a Ph.D. candidate. I can I can say firsthand they, they're workers. They work extremely hard. They're, mm-hmm. um, they're grading papers. They're TAing classes. They're uh, doing research. In many cases, they're leading classes. And so they really are sort of the backbone of the academic system in a lot of ways. And their uh, big victory was getting a pay raise in their their annual stipend from $20,000 a year to $24,000 a year. Oh, that's so, big. It's a big victory, but also underscores, you know, they're not living high on the hog here. And yeah, kind of making this this point that these are, are people, especially an institution like UIC, which so many, you know, such a, a diverse group of, of first-generation college students um, who have basically made the decision to, to forego opportunities at higher-paying jobs so that they can pursue their passion and try to make their mark on, on the academic world. And all they're really saying here is, we want to be paid something approaching a living wage. And it looks like they, they got that by, you know, withholding their labor and showing how important they are to the ecosystem there and going on strike. And, and they got what they wanted.
0: And Patrick, workers at Starbucks locations in Cary and Peoria, they became the first to unionize in this state. That seems like a pretty significant win, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, there have been very significant wins for unions Uh Throughout throughout the country at Starbucks, it's I think in f- at least fourteen states workers in, at Starbucks in at least fourteen states have voted to unionize. Illinois, as you just mentioned, joined that list with two with two Starbucks shops. You know, obviously a lot of coverage was given to the Amazon union push in New York. I, I tie those two together just because we're seeing more movement of unions, kind of opening the gates and seizing the day at uh, corporations to, to to big mega corporations that have have resisted unions for so long. It, it, it's very interesting.
0: And employee protests at the Chicago Reader also made headlines. Here's what writer Kelly Garcia had to say at a recent protest. If you don't transition into a nonprofit, our grant-funded racial justice reporting hub and writer's room will not happen, and I could possibly lose my job. Len, you are preventing us from welcoming a new generation of writers who are eager to offer fresh new perspectives, which contradicts your claims about censorship. This week, the paper's co-owner, Len Goodman,
2: and three board members stepped down. What's going on at The Reader, Alex? Well, what happened, this is a a saga that dates back at least a a couple months. This um, attorney named Len Goodman was part of a a group that um, bought The Reader for $1 and assumed all of its debts and tried to come in and and deal with some of its financial problems that it was having, having and went into this. Uh, basically they all developed this plan that you know the reader is going to become a nonprofit it's this beloved and extremely important to sort of the public discourse um alt weekly um been around for decades and so the the conversation on how to save it ended up with you know trying to move to this nonprofit model that sort of took a big left turn in i think it was december when len goodman wrote a column he decided you know i own this i'm just going to put a column in it was i guess i'll call it very vaccine skeptical that was misleading at best and, and just harmful to public health at yeah. worst, basically raising a bunch of questions about vaccines and, and the, you know, of vaccinating child specifically, yeah. yeah. And so the, the Tracy Bain, the editor in chief there and the editorial staff said, no, we need to actually bring fact checkers in on this and understand what's true and what's false and what's responsible information to be putting out into the world. And he pushed back at that and called it censorship. And he basically put the whole transition to a nonprofit um, on pause for that so that they could quote unquote investigate the censorship. And so the reader union got together and, and made a lot of noise about this and, and basically said, you know, Len Goodman, stop holding the, the paper hostage, basically. And they yeah. um, did a full on labor action. They did a rally last week outside of Goodman's home. They had Scabby the rat out there and everything. And lo and behold, it worked. It was they they got a wholesome and complete victory. Len Goodman stepped down. He said, you know, it's clear that we're not going to be able to Get what we want in the you know this is an untenable impasse and so he's stepping down. It's it's going to be able to move to that nonprofit status and um, I which tried, is what they were looking for. I tried so hard to think of a Newsies reference to make like like yours, Patrick, but mm-hmm. they're um, yeah they, they 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 got what they wanted.
0: Yeah, what do you think, Patrick? I know you've been paying attention to the reader as well.
1: Well, you know, without commenting on too much on the the sort of what led to the impasse, I thought Alex did a really good job um, summing that up. First of all, I love a Scabby the Rat appearance anytime it happens. Mm-hmm. But but this was the workers of the reader said that that this moving to nonprofit status was not just what they wanted, but was essential to the reader surviving. I mean, they were concerned that that it just was not going to last as a as a going interest without transitioning to a nonprofit. Because of that, I just think this is a huge victory mm-hmm. for the people of Chicago, in addition to the readers at the journalists, because at the, the readers of the, the journalists at the reader, <laughs> because we need the reader, we need as much independent media as we can get in the city.
0: Sticking with you, Patrick, because unfortunately, uh, you're the criminal justice reporter and, and crime. Is that part of well, <laughs> well, that's not part of the unfortunately, but uh, crime has made headlines this week. That's the unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, you reported on uh, University of Chicago study about carjackings. What did its research show?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so I think taking a step back here, we've seen a, an increase in the carjackings that started when the pan- uh, right right after the pandemic began, and police leaders have kind of. Uh, consistently blamed that increase on juveniles they've they've blamed it on on young people they've said at least partially because people weren't in school they said a lot of it was young people doing joy rides based on the arrests they had made this new research from uh, professor robert vargas at university of chicago he looked at okay of the carjacked vehicles how many are ever actually recovered he found that it's it's less than 1 in 5 carjack vehicles are ever recovered by Chicago police according to CPD data. Really, that few. That yes, it's a very small number. Um that's what he found and what what he sort of hypothesized based on that is that he doesn't think it really makes sense that this is mostly young people joyriding because as he put it, unless these young people are incredibly good at hiding cars after they do joy joy after they go on a joyride, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. It makes more sense to him that these are cars being sold on the black market. And so that there's more of an economic incentive here that's maybe adults making a choice, not a good choice, a choice that's very terrifying and dangerous for the person who's victimized, but a choice to try to steal a car and sell it. And he said the reason that's important, if his hypothesis is correct, is it's it's what kind of interventions we need to try to stop this, you know. It's like youth programming is great, but he's saying that might not be the thing that stops carjackings. It might be more economic-based if we're really going to try to address this problem.
0: And crime continues to be a problem even for those that don't have cars, right? So tell us about this spike in CTA robberies.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot. There's been some very high-profile incidents recently, a lot of attention on it, and and we have seen an increase overall. I'm not sure if this month there's – I don't have the numbers for this month to know – If there's actually been even more of an increase in in april but i can say that there's been a lot of high profile incidents and a lot of attention on it uh the former host of wttw's wild chicago will Klinger, was was unfortunately attacked on the red line on monday we've seen other reports of this and and it's certainly at least based on the media attention this is and and we've seen politicians get involved as well as sort of raising the alarm about about danger on, on, on the CTA.
0: To that end, Alex, last weekend was Chicago's most violent of the year, seven killed and another 37 shot. How's the mayor responding to this?
2: I think that it's a tough needle for the mayor to thread. I think that in one sense, she tries to pick up any kind of points in the data where she can to say that things are kind of trending in the right direction. You know, overall, shootings and homicides are down from last year, which was, of course, you know, the, the highest in, in decades, and then sort of pivoting to here's all the stuff that we're trying to do mm-hmm. to stem the tide, and it really is just sort of a kitchen sink strategy from the city at this point. We're gonna have, you know, yes, try to, to beef up police presence as much as we can, and also pour money into anti-violence intervention, street outreach, and pour money into community groups and homelessness, et cetera, et cetera, and it, it's really kind of an all-hands-on-deck strategy, and and we're just sort of holding our breath heading into the summer and, and hoping that it works as, as best as it can. Oh, goodness.
0: Patrick, while we're seeing all of these headlines about crime, you had another story this week about the state being slow to spend its federal anti-violence funds. What are the details?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so this is the state got billions of dollars in, in federal COVID money, in, in ARPA dollars, um, for use for a lot of different things. And one of the uses it it, it, it was for was for preventing and reducing gun violence, because as we know, gun violence shot up just like carjackings did right after the pandemic right. began in 2020. And in last year's budget, the state took $50 million of that of that ARPA money, that federal COVID money, and said, so we're going to spend this on anti, community-based anti-violence uh, efforts. They have spent, you know, the budget year is almost over. It's been almost a year since that budget went into effect. They've spent $56,000 of it, so it's one-tenth of one percent of the money that they budgeted to spend. Now, to be clear, the state spends money, its own money, state money on anti-violence programs. It's not like this is the only money out there. Mm -hmm. But it's something I heard from experts and and advocates and people on the ground who are saying, we just don't get it. The state essentially has this pot of free money that they could be using. We have an emergency. We have a gun violence crisis. I mean, Governor Pritzker called it a public health crisis, the gun violence problem. And they're saying we just don't understand why the state is slow to spend. What the state said, what other experts said is that they're being very thoughtful and planning around this money. And that they're going to put it to good use is just taking time. I heard from many people who said it's time to really pick up the pace.
0: Yeah. And uh, the city made public its recommendations for that civilian police oversight board. Patrick, briefly tell us what the board is, what they do and, and what power they have.
1: Yeah. So, so this is going to be a board. Mayor Lifewood's going to pick from this list uh, seven people. Their power, they're going to recommend candidates for police superintendent and head of COPA, which is the agency that investigates police shootings. They'll have the power to fire the head of COPA. Uh, they also have; they'll make recommendations on police policy and and priorities. And actually, talking to people sort of close to this, they say that's really the big thing. That things like firing the COPA chief gets more; uh, it's more top line people kind of can understand it better, yeah. but but what they said is that this setting policy and setting priority for the police department is really the way that this, this civilian board is going to make a difference.
2: That's how it got held up for a, a year also. That's the, the sticking point that people just couldn't agree on who would get that power, and so we're watching to see, number one, how quickly the mayor actually appoints those seven because they're going to be elected in next year's city elections mm-hmm. and, and how much of the, the reins they're really going to take on that.
0: Two minutes here. Alex, I, I want to squeeze in one final story with you. Uh, Goose Island is going to see some changes. The candy giant uh, Mars Wrigley is uh, building a 45,000 square foot research and development hub there. What do we know about how it could impact that neighborhood that's already congested?
2: Yeah, I, it's a it's a interesting and sort of transitioning area. This is literally on Goose Island, sort of the northern end of Goose Island. There's It's a lot of uh, industrial. And this, of course, is going to be industrial too. It's it's just adding uh, uh, what they call a pilot plant, more of a research and development kind of um, facility. No word yet on whether they're going to give out golden tickets for us to tour it and um, try <laughs> sample some of it. But um, they're going to expand the parking. They said during plan commission last week to address some concerns about congestion, they're going to try and make um, Cherry Avenue, which is sort of the spine that goes up in the middle of Goose Island, they're gonna take away a railroad easement and replace it with a bike lane. So not that Goose Island is necessarily much of a bikeway already, but this was sort of their way of um, adding that in. I also don't think that it's gonna sweeten the deal by making the air smell like chocolate like um, (laughs) Lammers does, but more more research and development in the critical uh, candy development industry.
0: So going to each of you, in 10 seconds or less, Tell us what you've got coming up this week. Patrick, you first.
1: Well, not this week, but but just before we started, we saw that the Whole Foods in Inglewood is closing. This is only, you know, I think five years after they got $10 million in tax breaks from the city. Be curious to see what happens to that location and disappointed, obviously, about the closure.
0: Yeah, Alex?
2: I'll actually pick up the thread on that exact same area around Halstead and 63rd, or Cottage and 63rd. There's there's a, a new Invest Southwest development that's been proposed there, a food eco lab, So by the same developer that built the Whole Foods, actually. So we'll be following up on that and seeing what happens there.
0: That's Alex Nitkin, editor and City Hall reporter for The Daily Line and WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Thank you both. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. That's it for today's Reset. For more conversations about Chicago politics, news and entertainment, subscribe to this podcast, and please give us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening, and you can catch us back here on Monday. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR.